I'm eager to preach the gospel today from Genesis chapter 2 and would like to invite you to please turn there with me. Genesis chapter 2. One of the great joys of my life is being able to labor alongside Jim Donahue as a pastor in this church. And Jim, we thank God for your leadership of the bridge over these many years. What a gift your leadership is. Thank you. I received an email from Dan Muir, a member of the church, that I want to share with you. Dan wrote the following, and this is a wonderful way to introduce our series and message today. Dan said, hi, Jared. I'm currently in the career-building stage of my life, and I'm eager to keep God at the focus of my work. However, I feel the teaching on work that I've received has historically been limited to do all that you do to the glory of God. Although I believe this to be an important aspect of how I should conduct my work, I also believe God has intended more for us in our labor than to just do it excellently. There are a number of resources that I'm using to study career growth, but I want to be informed by Scripture rather than our culture. I feel there are a number of people like me that haven't fully understood the joy that God has for us in our vocation, labor, and production of goods and services, but instead believe they are doomed to the corporate nine-to-five dull drudge of seemingly fruitless labor. I'm in the process of digging deeper into Scripture to more fully understand what God says about work. Obviously, this is not the most important topic in Scripture, but I do believe it's important to God and is something we should think rightly about. He says, with all that said, I'm writing to you to request that you and the pastoral team consider doing a mini-series on biblical work in a fallen world, teaching that goes beyond just doing excellence or your workplace is a mission field, but also how work was intended to be, how work has been twisted by the fall, how we should approach our careers in this broken world, how work has and will be redeemed in heaven. Also, some important topics related to God's design of work how God has designed money to be an incentive to work, how money is important and also cautions against loving it, God's intention for our limitations and rest, how rest fits into his design of work, what rest should look like. So I'd like to thank Dan for his work in planning this series. <laughs> and let's welcome Dan as he comes to preach. He, he says this, he says, it's my desire that through proper teaching and right thinking of work, people will find the joy and fulfillment that God has intended for them and will be excited by the opportunity to produce value for God's glory and rejuvenate the church for the work week. It is also my desire that I personally would grow in confidence in my approach to working for His glory and that I would change any part of my approach and attitude towards work that is not in line with His design and will. And then, and then Dan, you signed it, thanks for reading my ramblings. Dan, like if that's rambling, then I have never spoken a coherent word in my life. I share that with you as a, as a church, not only to commend Dan for his study of Scripture, his 
example in desiring to honor the Lord with his work, the exemplary manner in which he provided input for us as leaders and pastors, which is so helpful. But also, I share it with you because Dan so perfectly and eloquently describes the goals of this four-part series that we begin today. When I received Dan's email, I immediately sprung into action on creating this series, eager to serve and equip the church in this way as soon as possible. Now, I do need to share, Dan's email was sent to me September 8th, 2019. <laughs> um, slightly delayed by a global pandemic, but better late than never. I got it in before your retirement, Dan, so. <laughs> what a gift it is to receive an email like that and the reflection it is of the hearts of so many in this church family to honor the Lord in all of life. Genesis chapter 2. We'll read the first 17 verses, and I'd like to invite you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Our sermon title, Faith and Work, Created to Work. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and Onks stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. May God bless the preaching of his word, and you may be seated. In the animated Pixar movie, Wall-E, a robot is responsible to clean up a world that has been trashed. 
Humans once inhabited the earth, but they have all been evacuated to a space station with the hopes of returning one day once the robots clean up the mess. Uh, Wally is a hardworking but lonely robot. He meets another robot named Eve. Uh, the humans who left Earth are supposedly living in a utopian, carefree existence in which they never work. They are on luxury space cruise ships. Robots wait on them and do whatever they request, and so the pampered humans become lazy and bored couch potatoes. The adult humans, as they appear in the film, now look like giant babies. They sit on padded, reclining hover chairs, their eyes fixed on the video screens where they are entertained and where they communicate with each other. They eat a large amount of food and sip from giant cups, and they have lived this way for centuries. In case we are tempted to believe that the dream life, the good life, is the life of sitting around doing nothing, <laughs> Wally reminds us that the absence of work is dehumanizing. And the reason for this is that our God did not create us to do nothing. Our God did not create us to live lives that revolve around the leisure and rest and play. He created us for another purpose. He created us to work. And when humans, when we abandon work, as they do in Wally, bad things happen in the world and bad things happen to us. Have you ever thought God could have taken a much different approach to creating the world? He could have made things more like Wally, where you just sit around on cushy chairs while animals or robots bring everything to us. We sip everything we need out of large cups that sustain us. But God didn't do that. And the reason is because God has a creative purpose for our work. This series is aimed at all kinds of work, whether your workplace is the classroom, an office, a factory, a studio, a highway, a hospital, at home, or anywhere else. And when we talk about applying the gospel to our work, keep in mind that that work is broader than employment. This is not just a, a sermon series for the employed, because work is broader than employment. Students, your work includes school and your studies. Uh, homemakers, your work includes tending children. Most of us spend most of our waking hours engaged in some kind of work. And it is imperative that we apply God's word to those hours, to this significant area of our lives. We need to see our work as God does. We need to integrate faith and work. We need to connect Sunday worship to Monday work so that our callings in life are not divorced from discipleship. 
Here's something else. We need to get rid of the idea that our work is not significant unless it is directly spiritual or church-related. We need to avoid the idea that work in the church matters, but work in the world does not matter. God calls His people to a variety of vocations, and that which He has called you to is your act of worship, however ordinary and mundane it may appear. Now, so we're laying foundations here today. The question is, what do we learn about work from Genesis 1 and 2? First point is this, that God delights in His work. God delights in His work. Did you know that work is one of the very first things that the Bible talks about? And have you ever thought about the fact that the opening chapter of the Bible intentionally portrays God as working? He is not only working, He is portrayed as doing manual labor. He is creating, He is gardening, He is sculpting, He is going through the work week. And he rejoices in his work. This is all of Genesis 1. So that at the end of the chapter in Genesis 1, verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So this working God created a world that is material, that is physical, and he declares the material creation to be very good. And that has massive implications for our work. It changes the way each one of us thinks about seemingly menial tasks. Changes the way you think about house cleaning and changing diapers and building a deck and mowing the lawn. That God is a working God. In chapter 2, God creates man, verse 7. God plants a garden for him and he waters it, verse 6, verse 8. And later in this chapter, God creates a wife for the man. God works and God delights in his work. And the Lord continues working, though the work of creation is complete. He continues working throughout history by providing for all he has made. And so Jesus says in John 5, 17, My Father is working until now and I am working. He works in creating, he works in providing, and yet you know the greatest work that God has ever done was not the work of creation, was not the ongoing work of provision, but the work of salvation. Jesus said to the Father in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus worked for our salvation so that we might be saved apart from our working by grace alone. Receiving eternal life does not depend on how faithful you are in your work, but how faithful Christ was in His. He worked for our salvation, and when He hung upon that old rugged cross, He declared, it is finished. And now the exalted Christ continues his work in the world and in our lives until he returns to do the consummating work of making all things new. At the very beginning of the Bible, we are introduced to God 
And we learn that he is a working God, a, a creative and cultivating God. And we will never understand work the way that we should until we connect our work to God's work. We work because he has invited us into his work of tending to this world. That leads to the second point. God designed us for work. And here, here the Bible checks our attitude toward work. Here, God challenges our entire outlook on work. This is the problem with living for the weekends. This is the problem with living for leisure. This is the problem with living for retirement. It's a denial of the fact that God created us to work. And it's Here's something, it's crucial to remember Genesis 2 takes place in a world without sin. It's a world without sin, but it is a world with work. Verse 5 explains that there was no man to work the ground, and that is when God created man. And then verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it, to cultivate, to tend to the world that God has made. That command to work is not a result of the fall. Working, keeping, cultivating is not a result of sin. It's not a result of the fall, which means that work is not fundamentally evil. It is not something to be avoided. God works, and God created us to experience the joy of work. In verses 19 and 20, Adam is engaged in the work of naming animals, and through the creation of Eve and marriage, then comes the work that was commanded in chapter 1, verse 28, where God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You want to know what it looks like to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth? Look at the Torrance family. This, is, this must be their life verse. They are out here filling the earth and subduing it. But here's, the, here's something, filling the earth, when we, when we see that, doesn't simply mean procreating. Filling the earth involves the ordering and developing of society. That's part of what's involved in, in, in filling the earth. It means we are created, each one of us, to be cultivators. We are created to contribute, to fill the earth and subdue it. To subdue, this subduing work means we are stewards called by God to rule over the rest of creation as God's representatives here in God's world. Welcome to the world God has made. Welcome to life as God intends it. There are things to be developed and discovered. There are things to be cultivated and explored, subdued and kept. God made us for this purpose. He designed us for work. We are not, here's a thing, you know, you talk about uh, work and rest, balance, and these sorts of things. It's important to understand we are not created primarily for leisure, but primarily for work. This is why God says that we should work six days and rest one, rather than the other way around, or rather than a you know, three, four arrangement on the division of days. And this is later built into the Ten Commandments. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, Exodus 20, verse 9. 
One of the things this means, and there's many valid motivations for work, but it's important to understand that we work not just to bless others, not just to make money, though again, there are many valid motivations for work, and those are certainly among them, but most fundamentally, this needs to be the starting point. We, we work to express God's design in creating us. This is what you were made to do, made to work. And this is, in fact, why an unwillingness to work is so serious. A, a refusal to work from someone who is able to work is not just a lack of kindness to others. It is a violation of God's creation design. It's not just that I need to work so that I can earn money, so that I can survive. Work is not just a means to an end. I need work itself in order to flourish as the human being that God has made me to be. Tim Keller puts it this way uh, in his wonderful book, Every Good Endeavor. He says, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. And it's the case that people in nursing homes and hospitals often struggle with this very reality, wishing that they had uh, something more to accomplish or, or some way to, to contribute, to be useful to others. And they will tell you that they have plenty of rest, but not enough work. It's this whole idea of, of that which we were created for. And so here's, here's an application, and this is not easy, because we live in a fallen world, and we're going to talk about the implications of the fall on our work next week, but here's an application. Whatever work God has given you, you ought to thank God for it. At this point, we are very countercultural. Whatever work God has given you, you ought to not complain about it, not grumble about it, not moan about it, not hate it. You ought to thank God for it. Christians should be known as people who enjoy work. We enjoy work, despite, yes, all of the frustrations and challenges involved in our work on this side of the fall, we know that, that work is part of our worship. We worship God through doing what He made us to do, which is to work. Our worship of God, we have been praising the name of the Lord here together. He reigns, He reigns. How ironic would it be if we declare that the Lord reigns over all and then enter into our work that He has called us to on Monday without the acknowledgement that He reigns over our work situation and over our job. And so we, we worship God, yes, by singing, yes, by praising His name, but not only that way, we also worship Him by, by working the ground, by laboring at the office, by being diligent as a student, by making a contribution in the world. This totally, this totally changes the way we think about our lives. Because the part that is devoted to the Lord is not just Sunday at church or devotions in the morning. It's all of life. Because He is Lord of all. And He made us to work. And this leads to the third and last point, And that is that God gives dignity to our work. 
dignity to our work, not just some kinds of work, but all kinds of work. It's in fact building on this biblical understanding of work in Genesis 2 that the Protestant reformers highlighted the fact that even common work in the city of man is every bit as much of a calling from God as work in the church or work in Christian ministry or work as a pastor. Martin Luther called special attention to this point and emphasized the dignity of all work, helping Christians to understand uh, the significance of sanctifying the ordinary in our lives. And this matters because there are more than a few Christians who have unhelpful ways of thinking about work. One of the ways it can show up is that work can at times be valued only based on opportunities for evangelism, opportunities for, for, for ministry and compassion and justice, uh, or opportunities to make money so that we can be generous. Work is valued exclusively in those terms. And the result of that is that the majority of Christians who are people who don't work for Christian organizations and are not engaged in jobs that directly involve Christian ministry and philanthropy and care um, and are making just enough to get by. Um, these Christians, so many of us, can easily conclude that their work is insignificant, that their work is not valuable. There are many men and women, uh, especially Christians, that can be at that very place of, of not understanding the significance, the dignity, the value of the work that God has called them to. And so it needs to be said that, that so-called secular work has as much dignity as the sacred work of Christian ministry. Paul, in fact, explains in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, our call is not to remove ourselves from the world. Like God doesn't say, okay, you're a Christian now. Everyone become uh, you know, a, a ministry leader. Everyone involve yourself in a Christian organization. Everyone become a pastor. All of this sort of thing is not what, what Scripture says. In 1 Corinthians 7, 17, our call is not to remove ourselves from the world, but to live as believers in whatever situation the Lord has sovereignly assigned to us. We're faithful there where He has put us, where He has planted us. And so becoming a Christian does not mean that you eject from your job, but that you see your job as God's calling and assignment upon your life. It changes the way we view work. And this, this biblical understanding of the gift of work, the sanctity of work, the dignity of work, has a transforming effect because it infuses ordinary, mundane tasks with fresh significance. We connect God to our work. We connect the gospel to our work. I believe that, that mature Christians, informed by this biblical theology of work, can find meaning and value and joy in all kinds of work. Um, doing a wide range of work for the Lord. My, my pop-up, my mom's dad, who has gone on to be with the Lord, um, was a very faithful and hard-working man. He honored the Lord 
in his decades of work at RCA, the electronics company, just as much as he did as a missionary in Africa following his retirement. It's not as if his life was wasted in his labor, and then when he did missionary work in Africa came the real opportunity to to glorify the Lord. No, his whole life was given to honoring the Lord. Jesus did not honor his father more during his few years of earthly ministry, of preaching and healing, than he did in the much longer period of time he spent joyfully working with his hands as a carpenter. Remember that. That's what Jesus spent most of his time on earth doing, working with wood from the trees that he created. (laughs) Was it a waste? No. It was done year after year for the glory of God. Jesus is, is more than a carpenter, but he was not less than a carpenter, and he gave himself to that work. I like what Dallas Willard says of Jesus as a carpenter. He says, if he were to come today as he did then, he could carry out his mission through most any decent and useful occupation. He could be a clerk or accountant in a hardware store, a computer repairman, a banker, an editor, doctor, waiter, teacher, farmer, lab technician, or construction worker. He could run a house cleaning service or repair automobiles. In other words, if Jesus were to come today, he could very well do what you do. He could very well live in your apartment or house, hold down your job, have your education and life prospects, and live within your family surroundings and time. None of this would be the least hindrance to the eternal kind of life that was his by nature and becomes available to us through him. Oh, how our Savior dignified ordinary work when he came into the world. Some of you may be ambitious entrepreneurs. You may be managers. Others of you may be engaged in ordinary labors. Some of you may be compensated financially. Others of you are not. All of us, all of us should be able to cultivate a sense of the beauty and the glory of working in God's world. I want to to charge us as a church to view view your work as an area of, of discipleship. View your work as an opportunity to honor the Lord. Let's enjoy fellowship in community group and elsewhere around the joys and challenges of work. If you say, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual, that's the whole reason for this series. It is not unspiritual according to Genesis 2. It's talking about the very reason that God created us. God works, and in our work, we are reflecting His work, and we are obeying His command to work. We are acting consistently with who He made us to be. And it means that ordinary work, the work that each of you do and will engage in tomorrow, And Tuesday, it means that it's filled with dignity. It's filled with opportunity. It's filled with worship. Dan said it so well in what I shared earlier, and I want to repeat it here. It is my desire, and we make this together our prayer at the outset of this series. It is my desire that through proper teaching and right thinking of work, people will find the joy 
and fulfillment that God has intended for them and will be excited by the opportunity to produce value for God's glory and rejuvenate the church for the work week. Amen, and may God use this series to that end. Now, I want to invite you to please stand with me. There's a particular group that I believe God wants to minister to, and there may even be prophetic words uh, or scriptures that come to mind uh, to speak to this group. But we are all going to, to pray. And the group is this. It's, and it may even be difficult to hear a message like this for this reason. It's those who struggle to enjoy their work. The Lord was even laying on my heart those for whom your work may be a leading trial or the leading trial in your life. It's hard. You would not say that your work whatever that, whether, again, not just employment, but any kind of work, you wouldn't say that it is a, a source of, of joy. It is a significant trial for you. And it could be for any number of reasons. It could be uh, that you are in need of employment. Uh, maybe you're not where you want to be in your career. It could be the, the challenges of uh, work, the, the nature of the work. Maybe you're just weary. Here's a verse that God, that God laid on my heart. In Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should find enjoyment in his toil, in his work. There's nothing better for a person than that he should find enjoyment in his work. And it says, This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can have enjoyment? And I just had a sense that God wants to remind us that he, this comes from the hand of God, he is able to give the gift of joy in our work. Not always by changing our circumstances. It may come in that way, but more often, it's by changing our outlook. It's by changing our hearts. It's by reminding us of his nearness. And I do believe that God wants to transform our perspective and to refresh us and to give us fresh faith for our work. And so if that's, and again, any number of reasons, but if you would say, my work is a significant trial in my life and it's not a source of joy, it's a source of, of difficulty and maybe even tears and challenge, can you just raise your hand where you are so that we can minister to and pray for these brothers and sisters. Thank you, hold your hand up high. If you see someone with their hand raised, let's gather around these brothers and sisters. We have a prophetic word that I want you to hear and I will then lead us in praying. I believe the Lord's eager to meet with us now and to speak to these brothers and sisters. From Psalm 108 verse one, my heart is steadfast, O God. I believe God is going to impart a steadfastness among those today who have a job that is a struggle. And as we look to the Lord, that he's gonna give us a heart that rests in him, a heart that waits on him to do that only he can do. We may face injustice, we may face mistreatment, we may face persecution because we are a Christian, but God is our strength. 
and God is steadfast. And as we turn to him, he will give us a steadfastness that will see us through. Father, we ask that you would grant us that gift of steadfastness. Lord, we heard earlier, blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. We heard that we are to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. And so, Lord, first we, we want to acknowledge the the trial that these brothers and sisters currently face. Lord, we do not minimize the difficulty and the pain and the struggles of their toil. Some, not just day after day, but week after week and month after month and year after year, and some perhaps for decades. Oh, Father, would you grant the gift of steadfastness? You say that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness and that steadfastness has a glorious effect in our lives. And so may it be, Lord, as a fruit of your spirit, Lord, fill these brothers and sisters with your spirit, fill them with power from on high, Lord, uh, anoint them with a particular outpouring for the situation that they are in. May it be that this day there is a fullness of your spirit that is experienced that expresses itself in the fruit of the spirit in our lives, including joy. Lord, we ask that the joy of heaven would come down. We ask that you would break through our hard hearts, our sluggish hearts, our hearts that are so inclined to unbelief, to not see reality as you have made it. Lord, would you grant us joy? We ask that that steadfastness and joy would abound, that there would be perseverance in the work, and we ask that the difference would be made even this week. Lord, you are near to us in our labors. We are not alone. We are doing that which you, by your sovereign hand, the one who reigns over all, you have, at least for this moment, placed us in the situation that we are in, and we desire to do this for your glory. Lord, we offer up our lives to you. We offer up our labor to you. For those who do not have jobs, we ask that you would provide them. For those who are weary, we ask that you would strengthen their hands for the work that you've called them to, strengthen their hearts, that they might not grow weary. Lord, we set our hope in you. We trust in you. We embrace your good purposes for work and ask that we would view our lives as an offering of praise to your glory. The God who is with us in every trial, the God who is with us in every storm, the God who is worthy of praise and honor, not just on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and throughout the week. We live for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.